five through seven in 10 minutes. That's awesome. Wow. You're an all-star, lady. All right, that's great. Okay, open up your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 3, because we're going to learn how we can get wisdom today. And as you're turning, let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, it is once again a privilege to gather as your people, to dive into your word, to seek your face. We ask that you would show us your glory this morning, that we truly would be living statues showing your glory and making much of Jesus as we walk about our lives, flourishing in who you are. And we ask, Lord, that you would just, once again, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would have us so that we would fulfill that initiative as wise people who are following you with wholehearted devotion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, last week we learned what wisdom is. We learned that wisdom is competence with regard to the realities of life. In other words, it's wisdom with regard to how life really works, right? Because you've heard people say, well, that doesn't work in the real world. This works in the real world. This is how we can live as followers of Christ in the real world. That's what this whole series is about. So we began at the end of the sermon to begin the process of how we can get it. And today we're going to complete that process, looking at how we can do that. We learned that in regards to what it is, we need to embrace the joyful fear of the Lord. Meaning, when you recognize what the fear of the Lord truly is, that it's an adoration, it's a reverence, it's an awe regarding his holiness, and yet his love. Because he created us as his children, and he delights in us as his adopted children. There's no mistake about who you are as his child. All right? That's the joyful fear of the Lord. Walking in, and I shared the experience of me meeting Joe Theismann, and I froze. It's like that type of fear, you know, just, just, Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah, you're here and you're welcomed in. So we embrace the joyful fear of the Lord and the foolishness of God's grace. Because when you truly place your trust in Christ, there's always going to be someone out there who says, you really don't believe that, right? And they think of you as a fool, but yet they're being the fool because they're wise in their own eyes and, and you are embracing the foolishness of the reality of the gospel, all right? So that's the first step that we talked about last week. And today, we're going to learn that as we do that, we're going to walk on a straight path, verse 6. Now, that's a, that's a metaphor for life. And you need to understand that as a metaphor, if we embrace this joyful fear of the Lord and foolishness of the cross and begin to walk wisely with him, Okay, he'll make my path straight. Well, if you're going to get a straight path, you don't sprint on it. Because if you ever go on a long hike and you sprint it, what's going to happen? You burn out. You don't last. It's one foot after the other, after the other, and it takes time to develop this. Meaning, it's just the every 
day-to-day plotting of the Christian life creates this character which creates wisdom for you, okay? So that's where we are. So how do you get it, all right? That's how we learn it. Well, we learn in this passage in chapter 3, Solomon is speaking to his son, and he says, you get wisdom by knowing God, by trusting in him completely, by living in community, and acknowledging him in every area of your life. All right? So let's look at those. First, we know God. Not know about him, but know God. Look at verse 3 with me. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. It looks like, as you first read that, it's, you know, be a loving, faithful person. But when you take a closer look and you read it and you can let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart, it's more meaning like don't let go of it. Get a good grip on it. The words here for love and faithfulness are Hebrew words in relation to God's love for his covenant people. The word love here, by the way, is the Hebrew word chesed which is the Greek word agape, love, unconditional love. You know, his commitment, his faithfulness, his graciousness, his total commitment to you as his child. So when it says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, never leave you, it means hold on to it. Bind it around your neck. Write it on your heart. Think about it all the time. Talk about it all the time. And here's what Solomon is telling his son. Therefore, it's the inspired word of God. Here's what the Lord's telling us. You need to know in your heart of hearts that he's for you. He would do anything for you. He's done everything for you. He's unconditionally committed to you. So why does that create wisdom? When you know the Lord like this, not know about him, but you know, you have a personal relationship with the Lord, and you know him like this, and you're binding him in your heart, you're in his word, you have a prayer life, you're developing that more and more, at least daily, at least a couple of times a day for short periods of time, practicing the presence of God throughout your day, It will push you toward wisdom and not foolishness. And therefore, when you have that, you have poise. You don't panic. And you make wise choices. (laughs) Right? It's knowing God, not knowing about Him, because you're binding Him on your heart. You're writing that on your heart. Do you know God like this? Two, We also trust him, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, I'm afraid that when people hear trust in the Lord with all your heart, it's a motivational t-shirt, you know, or it's some type of greeting card. And you think, oh, isn't that nice? It's actually quite confrontational and a little edgy because it's very possible to know what to do and to be religious and walk through the motions and not trust the Lord. 
what the Lord's talking about is where's your functional trust? You know, you pray, but is your career your functional trust? Is your finances your functional trust? Where do you get your self-esteem and your self-worth? Is it your career, your looks, your finances, your pursuit of comfort, your intelligence, your talent, some romantic relationship, your spouse? Anything that you make your functional trust will appear as disproportionate emphasis to the rest of your life. And people will think you're a fool. Right? But the reality is, when you place your functional trust in anything but the Lord, when you lose that, your life is wrecked. Let's say you put your functional trust in your career, and you dive into it, and it's, that's what you're all about, and that's all you ever talk about. You're consumed with it, then you lose your job. Your life's a wreck. What about your relationships? You know? That relationship with that man or that woman, and it just clouds your judgment. All you can think about is him or her, and all of a sudden you lose them. And your life's a wreck. And what happens is you're devastated and you're not able to function, and it clouds your judgment. And it makes you, when you place your functional trust somewhere else, it makes you unwise. All right? The third point is, not only do you uh, know the Lord, not only you trust Him in all your ways, you also lean not on your own understanding. Notice also it says in verse 7, do not, be not wise in your own eyes. All right. The definition of a fool is someone who is wise in their own eyes. Um, is they can only care to see things from their own perspective. All right? Therefore, as people who claim to be Christians, we can't allow a Sunday-only Christianity to define us. We need to live and do life together as God's people at Christ Church. All right? Because when you only have your own perspective and you're only hearing what's in your head, you become more foolish than wise. Think about it. When you look at a picture of yourself, some people go, I can't believe I look that bad. And you come along and someone says, you, you look great. You kidding me? You need that perspective. On the other hand, you might say, I look good. And they say, no, you look like a fool. <laughs> this is why when I go to shop for clothes, I always ask the woman sales associate to help me. Because I don't want my daughter to come home and say, Dad, oh, no, no. Because she has. <laughs> All right? And same thing with my wife. They have another set of eyes. It's like when you hear yourself on a recording. Right? And you, you hear yourself and you go, oh man, do I sound like that? And people say, yeah, that's exactly what you sound like. That's who you really are. 
That's because you're only listening to yourself in your own head. And if you only listen to yourself in your own head, you can't become wise. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us not forsake the gathering together as some other habit of doing it, but let us gather all the more as the day approaches. That's talking about gathering as God people, not only on the Lord's day, but throughout the week. And as you know the Lord this way, you trust the Lord, your affections are changed. You're able to reprioritize and do life together. So I want to invite you. Now, in the middle of a pandemic, you guys look really good wearing masks, by the way, you know. But Catherine had mentioned, man, it's really tough, tough to talk to people as they wear the mask because you don't know what they're really saying. But I can see you smiling through your eyes, and I can see you scowling through your eyes, all right? We're just trying to do life together in our little churches. The Tuesday women's group is still praying through how they can still gather here on Tuesday mornings. Our CBS group is going to do Zoom John throughout the entire year. All right, but our Tuesday morning group is going to do John with the sermon series on John. And we are going to do Wednesday night. All right, so if you're in the discipleship or read Mark Learn group, first 12 people who sign up, boom, we're going to do it. But there's no babysitting. All right? We can't, you know, right now. And everybody else, we're going to Zoom you in or we're going to live stream you in somehow. And so this is quite a storm, isn't it? All right? Um, but the point is that we, we, we open up our Bibles, we grow together, we hear each other's perspective, and we're stronger because of it. And I want to invite, if any of you really missed Discipleship Hour, Maybe talk to me and we can do something on Sunday morning because when I was a teacher and a coach, I could only give you Sunday morning. I could give you three hours. That's it. That was it for the whole week because, you know, it was a rigorous, tough-paced football season and baseball season where I taught and coached, and we won. You know, people say, well, you should be able to come. I go, no, I'm not, you know, I'll, I give you three hours on Sunday morning. That's what I can give you, you know, and I did. I helped, helped lead a Sunday Bible study for adults, did it for kids, was a part of that group for, for three years, and it was glorious. Why? Because they were my family. We did life together. We opened up God's Word together. We served together in the community, and we were accountable to one another. Does that describe your life? I want to encourage you. Jump on Zoom with me. Jump on Zoom with me. We're gonna, we're, we'll figure it out on Wednesday nights. And we're going to walk through John together and just fall in love with Jesus together. Rediscover our love for Jesus. Ignite our walk with Jesus. And all the same time, learning how to share Jesus with someone else. It's going to be exciting. So start to pray as kickoff Sunday comes along, September 13th, who you can invite to just maybe watch online. You know, that's a ministry now. We're, you know, we're seeing it. I get comments all the time. So consider that. So that's doing life together. You can't do it alone. Let's live in community. Next, not only do we live in community together, we also acknowledge his word We know the Lord, we trust Him with all our heart, 
we live in community, not leaning on our own understanding of the way things are, open to what the Lord is. In verse 6, and in all our life, we acknowledge his authority. What does it mean to acknowledge? What Solomon is saying, and God is saying through Solomon, is even though you may have some understanding and have this or that opinion, you may have this or that belief, you need to follow and acknowledge God's reign and rule over your life and submit to it. How does that happen? Well, look at the context of this book and this chapter within this book. All right? It's written within the context of the Torah. The Torah is the Hebrew word for the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the law. All right? And... It is said by Old Testament scholars that Proverbs is the Torah applied. All right? And so therefore, how do you do that? It's immersing yourself in the Word. Instead of leaning on your own understanding, you're not doing your will, you're doing His will. Immersing yourself in the Bible Reading it, marking it, learning it, inwardly digesting it, mastering it, studying it, as it turns you actually into a wise person. Now, you need to understand something. As you grow in your knowledge, you find your affections changing and what have you. And all your ways acknowledging Him, that means you take it out of the Sunday school onto the streets. And for 25% of life, it's really clear. Like when I go into Mallies, you know, because about once a quarter I go into the Bay Village Mallies, and the typical day I walk in, it's almost every time I go in there, because the time of day I go in there, there's a bunch of high school kids that go to Bay or Ignatius, and they're all back by the ice cream counter, gibbering and jabbering, and they're on their cell phones. Now, you, you look up at me, and you look at my uniform, and you think I'm such a holy person. And what's going through my mind is, I could steal this peanut brittle, and they would never catch me. You know? They couldn't get, there's not even a camera in that store. That's how totally depraved I am, you know? But I don't. Why? Because my affections have been changed, and I know better, you should not steal, Right? That's pretty clear. It's also pretty clear if you're married, you know, and there's a coworker or a person who's really, you know, warmed up to you and they listen to you and they, they engage with you and you go home and your spouse is not that engaging and they're not that warmed up to you, that's because they know you. The reality is, that's because the reality is you don't go have an adulterous affair with them. Why? You should not commit adultery, right? 25% of life is like that as we acknowledge his ways. 75% is a little more gray, right? You know, there's some things in life that we just can't apply the Bible to. Like last week I said, all right, what are you going to do if all of a sudden you've been searching for a job for a year and all of a sudden two job offers come in at the same time? They're both really good. You've been praying for a spouse you young people, and all of a sudden, you know, you've been walking faithfully with the Lord and nobody comes and all of a sudden three people just at one time. 
What do you do? Well, because we're trusting in the Lord, all right, we know him. We know, we know about him. We know the, this Jesus Christ. We trust in him. We're immersing ourselves in his word. We're, we're uh, walking in community together. Because of those, you've got a good foundation and you find your affections changing. What ends up happening is as you live in this community and you take it out into your average everyday workplace, knowing that the Lord is at work, Jesus said, my father is at work. He's at work around us if we will just have the eyes to see it, pray about it. Over time, he will guide your steps because God will reveal himself to you through his word, through his people, by the promptings of the Holy Spirit, through the circumstances of your life, to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And you will gain wisdom. That's the 75%. And it happens over time, step by step by step. This is not, a, remember last week I said it's not a technique? It's not a technique. I, I, you know, I can't step into your shoes. You can't step into mine. It's just something we do day after day after day. Well, that's, that's how we get it. But really, you need an ignition. You need, you need to turn the key to this car, right? A spark. I think the key to this is the reality of this text as you get to verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father and the son in whom he delights. He disciplines his son. What's that about? You've just told me in verse 2 that I'll have a long life and years of peace. You've told me in verse 4 that I will find favor and have good success in the sight of God and man. I'll have favor among my neighbors. You've told me you'll make, in verse 6, you'll make my path straight. You said that I'll have healing to my flesh and refreshment to my 58-year-old bones. I could use some bone refreshment. <laughs> now you're telling me you're going to discipline me? Yeah, like a father whose son, what's going on here? You know, here's the point. What he's saying here is that when we live knowing the Lord, trusting the Lord, living in community, walking in His ways, life can still be hard. Because when we believe in the gospel, when we truly trust in the gospel, the worst thing we can be told is life is going to be smooth sailing from here on. No, it's not. Some people will think you're a fool for believing this and will treat you like that. They'll treat you differently than they treated before when you didn't believe it. Loved ones get sick. You get sick. You get a bum knee all of a sudden. Whatever it is, whatever suffering that we go through, 
And everybody who is wise will tell you, I have learned through my suffering. I've learned through my mistakes. I've learned through these things and my strengths and weaknesses. And it only happens, I only gain that wisdom as I go through it. The gospel is the most beautiful and hard news you'll ever receive. And here's the key. You have to hang on as you bind this around your neck that God is delighting in you even as you're going through it. Because he disciplines the ones he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. <laughs> Think about it when good biblical discipline occurs to a child, right? You know, sometimes you just let bad things happen to your kids. You know they're not going to get hurt, but they're not listening to you, and they're just going to have to learn the hard way. Other times, you guys step in and just discipline them. And every time you do, they cry. And it hurts to see your child cry. You don't delight in it. And the same thing is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And you have to be absolutely sure that He loves you and delights in you when the bad things happen in your life. Because if you don't, that suffering will harden you. And we all know people whose suffering has hardened them. And you'll turn from God. You have to believe He delights in you. And as you go through this suffering, it'll soften you to the reality of that grace. And it'll make you wise, not foolish. Well, how can you be sure? This is the ignition gene. Yeah, it is. Because it's real. It's real life. Because verses 11 and 12, you can also see in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, when the author of Hebrews says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Therefore, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see what the author of Hebrews is doing? He's recognizing that even as he is going through suffering, he's recognizing that the Lord's discipline is a loving discipline. Because he can fix his eyes on Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, all that he did for you. Because Jesus had his ups and downs in life. I mean, can you imagine a greater up than coming out of the baptism waters and hearing the voice of the Father? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And as he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Remove this cup from me. It's always Heavenly Father or Abba Father until the cross. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God couldn't even look upon sin, the Heavenly Father turned his face. As our sin was laid upon Jesus. He's getting what we deserve so that when we trust in Him with all our heart and lean not our own understanding and all our ways acknowledging Him, 
our sins are forgiven. And it says in John 1.12, for those who did receive him, he became the right to become children of God. You're a child of God. You're adopted into the family. Romans 8.16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that means because Jesus died on the cross and took our punishment, we can know how now that he is pleased with us, that God looks at us and says, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. Even when you're going through hard times. You can only trust in that way if you recognize that he truly did suffer for you. We're the only worldview that says God suffered. But once you know that he delights in you and you know what he went through for you, you'll recognize, you'll find your troubles relate to your heart the way fire relates to gold. It's just refining it. And as he refines it, he makes you into something beautiful for his glory and for your abundant life. So let's embrace it and take it and run with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've shown us what it means to be wise. And Lord, like our Lord Jesus, in whom all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are his, I pray that you would help us once again today and throughout this week to see once again what Jesus did on the cross for us. And seeing that defining evidence that he is for us and delights in us. Delights in me and in you. And as we go through the highs and lows of life, knowing you, trusting in you, living with one another here in the Christchurch community and acknowledging your word we can be, become more and more conformed to the image of your Son. You rearrange our world and you rewrite our stories and it's a New York Times bestseller and a great read. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.